0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right, we're going to be uh, starting in the book of Hebrews. Uh, That was the book that uh, um, my dad had picked out. um, And when we were discussing about me covering for him... uh, I asked him where, you know, where are we going to be at that point? I thought we were still going to be in the book of Daniel. She you how well I'd pay attention. He said, well, we finished Daniel. <laughs> Got it. And uh, so I said, well, what, what book are you starting? He said Hebrews. So I uh, paid him 50 bucks to uh, start Hebrews for him. <laughs> Just kidding. I offered to start Hebrews for him. He thought it was a okay idea. Um, so that's where we're going to be. Um we're going to go through chapter 1 and kind of the first part of chapter 2, just like the first three verses. Um, and uh, let's talk a little bit about Hebrews. The book itself, the letter, the epistle. So it's, it's addressed to Jewish converts to Christianity. Um, the author is unknown. Uh, a lot of people, and uh, including the translators of the King James Bible, attribute it to Paul. Um, Martin Luther thought uh, Apollos uh, was the one who wrote it, and still others think that Barnabas could be a possible author. Um, basically, we have no idea. Um, the language is a little bit different from, from Paul's uh, uh, normal language. Um, of course, the audience is a little bit different, so as he is the minister to primarily uh, the Gentiles. Um, We just don't know. Uh, We know a few details about him, that he was, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, or the letter of Hebrews, was associated with um, Timothy, because he's mentioned in the end of the book, and also um, before he went to Italy, um, or before he wrote the book of Hebrews, excuse me, he was in Italy. Um, That's about it as far as who wrote it. Uh, It was written sometime after Christ's ascension and before 70 A.D. um, Because there's a lot of references to the temple in Jerusalem, to the priesthood, the priests in the temple, and they're all present tense. So we know that this was written sometime after Christ was on the earth uh, and before the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Um, So it gives like a, I don't know, 25 to 40 year uh, period of when it, this could could have been written. The earliest known copy that we have of this letter is in something called the uh, Papyrus Forty Six, which is a like a collection or a codex of Paul's letters. So it's attributed to Paul there, um, and it's dated roughly to around two hundred A.D. Uh, the exact date is unknown. It was bought from an antiquities dealer in uh, the nineteen twenties and so the details about where it was found, who got it, um kind of the context that it was found in is unknown. But when uh scholars have looked at the writing of it, they've um the style of the letters and the materials and everything kind of give it this uh this range of written, being written around 280. So about 100 years really after The initial letter was written is where we have our first actual copy of it written down. So um, a lot of people question, have questioned over over the years whether or not Hebrews should be included in the Bible just because of the ambiguity of, you know, uh, we don't know who wrote it. uh, (coughs) Other than being addressed to uh, Christian Hebrews, we don't know... uh, exactly where it was sent to, um, so people have questioned its authenticity, um, by having this early papyrus copy of it, um, it's one of the oldest copies that we have of actually the letters, um, kind of gives some credence to its authenticity that it should belong in the Bible, um, way back in the day, in 393 and 397 AD, there was two councils that, uh, church councils in North Africa that agreed um, on what should be included or considered um, scriptures to uh, believers in Jesus Christ. Um, And Hebrews was among one of them. So um, there is some reliability there. I believe it's inspired. uh, There's a lot of really useful, wonderful scriptures in it. So... um, and if you want to see that Papyrus 46, you'd either have to travel to Dublin, Ireland, or actually there's one at, uh, part of it is on display at Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan, at the University of Michigan. So if you're ever in that area, you want to see a really early copy of the Book of Hebrews and some other letters. That's a place to go. Um, it was split up when it was bought back in the 20s because of antiquities dealers and shady going-ons. Anyways... That's kind of the background of the book. Let's get into the meat. So, Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's. Uh, Let's stop there. If we recall um, that God has, in times past and in various ways, spoken to uh, the fathers by the prophets, we can remember um, God using a donkey to speak to Balaam. We can remember He used a cloud to speak to Moses. He used a still, small voice after a lot of commotion to speak to Elijah. Um, He used pictures and symbols to speak to Ezekiel. Um, He used visions and miracles to speak to Daniel. And he also used his messengers, the angels. Um, God has been speaking to us for a long time. Um, And now we have the words of Christ. We have the New Testament. Um, The Gospels in particular Um, that are, you know, the very words that Christ spoke. um, They're reliable. Uh, That's where, if you want the Lord to speak to you, um, look through his scriptures. Uh, There's a lot there. Um, All right. Whom he has appointed, so I'm back in verse 2, heir of all things. So he's speaking about Christ, um, through whom also he made... The worlds. Um, So the writer of Hebrews here is basically trying to convince uh, the Hebrews, or uh, give some background, some credence to the to the Hebrews that Christ is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, that He is the rightful um, heir to the throne of God, essentially. Um, And that phrase he uses, heir of all things. The heir in uh, uh, the times that this was written in in Israel was usually the firstborn son, and he usually assumed headship of the family and succeeded to control of the family property and everything that the family owned after the father died. Um, So, and we're going to see later on how we're going to read about Christ's eminence, about his being first, being above the angels, being above everything. And this is kind of where the writer starts uh, backing up um, his claims there. All right. uh, Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Um, Sorry, I'm going to break up this little section a lot because it's a very long run on sentence. But if we look at Genesis 126, you can either turn there or if you just want to listen. um, Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Um, and we see there, and, and God said, let us make man in our image. Um, we know he's not talking to the angels. We know uh, he's not talking to the beasts that he's created, obviously. Um, that is a the first reference of Jesus Christ in uh, all of Scripture. It's right there. Let us make man in our image. So Jesus is um, the brightness of his glory, his being the Father's glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. so uh, right there we see Christ has complete control and reign of everything that is the Lord's, which includes us here. Um, So when he had by himself purged our sins, we know that, you know, that happened on the cross, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Um, He has the rightful claim to mankind. Um, so, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance uh, obtained a more excellent name than they. And then we're going to go on and look at the rest of these. Um, but we see kind of a breakdown of God's hierarchy here through this. Um, you know, God the Father being above all, his son being equal to him. You know, we know that Jesus said, if you've seen If you had known me, you you would have known the Father, because basically him and I are one. We're buds. Um, And uh, we also have the Holy Spirit, uh, the Trinity, which is attested to throughout uh, the New Testament and the Old Testament. And then um, further down we have the angels, who are ministers. Uh, They just go about doing what the Lord needs, his messengers. And then we have mankind, who is a little... Little lower than the angels, um, and again, the the writer is showing that Jesus Christ is above all, and that He is the Lord, what um, really means, you know, being the master. Um, so, in this next section, uh, if you're looking at it in your Bible, there's a lot of italicized marks. Basically, the writer now is going to back up his claims. Uh, his uh, persuasion With scriptures And one thing I want to point out Before we start delving into these Is that whoever wrote Hebrews Really knew his scriptures He's um, quoting these They were um, They're kind of A lot of them are from Psalms One of them is from uh, Deuteronomy And another one from Second Samuel um, They aren't all quote, you know, quotations From one particular spot They're not all um they 're not all together, you know, just one passage. We know that this guy um you know grew up memorizing these scriptures, knowing them just from the uh, Jewish traditions um, but also that he uh, it gives gives a little credence to the fact that this guy really searched his scriptures and knew them and if he is claiming that God spoke to the fathers through through scriptures and now has through Jesus Christ, um, that should encourage us to really know our scriptures and to know um, to know what they say and to that they are applicable to every situation that we find ourselves in as believers. So let's get started. For to which of the angels? Verse five. Did He ever say, He being uh, God the Father, "You are My Son; today I have begotten You." That's a direct quote from Psalm two seven. Um, and again, I will be to Him a Father, and He shall be to Me a Son. That's from Second Samuel, chapter seven, verse fourteen, which I'm going to look at here real quick. Um here we go. Then the cities wait, that's sorry, that's verse Samuel. Here we go. Alright. I'm gonna start actually in verse twelve. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Uh, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Um, and then he goes on. Uh, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the son of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house shall and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So this is a little section where uh, the Lord is speaking to King David. And it's, it's kind of a dual prophecy. I know uh, those are mentioned quite a bit um, throughout our studies. Um, the first is obviously God is speaking about Samuel or Solomon uh, building the temple. Building his temple after David really wanted to felt kind of guilty about it, Um, but then the other the other prophecy is about Jesus Christ and the church, and uh, yeah. So back to Hebrews, um, verse six here. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, "Let all the angels of God worship him." So um, there, he's talking about obviously uh, Christ's birth, what we're going to be celebrating here in a couple of weeks. Um, when he was born, and some shepherds got freaked out by these angels praising and worshiping God. It's a, it's a direct prophecy. Um, it comes from actually Deuteronomy thirty two forty three, and it's interesting. If you want to turn there. Deuteronomy 32. Verse 43. It says. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. And I remember when I was studying, I looked at that. I'm like, what is going on? Double check the chapter, the verse, everything. It's not in there. Something's messed up. Uh, looking a little further, it says also Psalm 97.7. And I went there thinking, okay, well, that that might make a little more sense. That might be, I don't know why that's there. I look at it and it's not quite the same. It says, Psalm 97.7. Uh let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. Worship him, all you gods. And I looked at the, the uh, Hebrew word there, and it meant gods. It didn't mean angels. I was really confused. Um, when I look, so going back, looking through it, apparently there's a Dead Sea Scroll hanging around somewhere. It's a fragment of Deuteronomy. And it has that passage there that we just, that we just read through, 32, 43. And it says, and let all the angels, and it's the Hebrew word for angels, worship him. And I believe that Psalm 97 is actually referencing Deuteronomy 32, which is a song that Moses was singing to the Lord. It's uh, kind of interesting how that happens. Um, It's easy to miss right there. I thought, uh, yeah. So, verse 7 here. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers Flame of fire. Uh, that's a direct qu- quote from Psalm 104.4. That one you didn't have to search that far for. Um, but to the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning... Lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. So we have this kind of back and forth. You are my son, speaking to Jesus. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But all the angels of God worship him who makes uh, his angels spirits and his ministers of flame of fire. And then he goes on talking about God's throne, his dominion, how he was before the angels. There in verse 8, um, talks about a scepter. And what is a scepter? A scepter is a rod or a, um, uh, uh, a big stick. That symbolizes authority, power and dominion. Uh, it was a more symbolic thing than anything, although it'll be good for whacking thine enemies. Um, <coughs> sorry. Genesis 49:10 talks about a scepter. We find a scepter being mentioned. Uh, it's actually an interesting word. I'll we'll talk about that in a sec. But Genesis 49, uh, verse 10. Um, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Um, This speaks of, you know, Shiloh we know of being... that reference, until Shiloh comes. Um, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. So this is a um, prophecy that Jacob gave to his sons, Judah being one of them. Um, And it's speaking about uh, Israel's ability to govern themselves, their ability to be an autonomous nation. Um, and it says that the scepter won't, be, won't depart until Shiloh comes. And we know that when Rome kind of uh, took over and bullied uh, Israel, um, I think there's actually more of a mutual agreement for a little while, um, Israel lost its authority to Rome, and uh, that was right around the time that Christ was born and Christ came. Um, so it's an interesting little tidbit there. Um, but it's talking about the scepter, scepter of righteousness, the scepter of your kingdom. Um, and this little passage in Hebrew, by the way, is a uh, quote from Psalm 45, 6. It's just fascinating to me that all these quotes about the Lord are in Psalms. Psalms is really a beautiful book. There's a lot in there. Um, but nobody thinks of it as much as a, of a prophecy book as as a poetry and song and encouragement book, but um, there's a lot of prophecies there. He talking about the scepter. Uh, the Hebrew word is shebet um, that I was just talking about in Genesis 49:10, and from that we get um, the root of that is means to branch off, and it's often translated as tribe. Um, but, as you look through there there's any you know pretty much where the scepter is mentioned it's referring to the power and the authority um, to given to whoever has that scepter so this says that Christ has the scepter that Christ has the power and the authority of the kingdom of God, and uh, we know that through knowing him right um, and down a little lower there in verse 9, it says, Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness, more than your companions. It's kind of a weird little saying. Um, if we remember back in Psalms, when we were studying, it was quite a while ago, when you, when you read the word blessed, or blessed um, you can think of it as happy. Uh, or happily blessed is, I think, one way that people translate it. So, um, he is blessed. He is anointed with the oil of gladness um, more than his companions. And if we look at Psalm three, it says, Blessed are those who keep justice, or happy are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness all the time. We know that Christ was perfectly righteous, right? And because of that, he is anointed with the oil of gladness, and more so than his companions. If we look at when Christ, uh, when the rubber hit the road, when Christ was being persecuted, about, about to be uh, sacrificed for our sins, Um. Everybody fled but him because Christ was perfect in righteousness. Um, And that righteousness uh, sustained him that perfection, the unity with the the Father. Uh, And that can remind us, can help us when we have some difficult times. uh, When we're facing any type of trials that we're uncomfortable with. Uh, that christ 's righteousness in us is really what can sustain us what um, what can help us get through those difficult times um, with the oil of gladness okay, um, verse ten, and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. they will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. Uh, that's a direct quote from Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. And uh, I forgot to mention before, when we are looking at, uh, in that first verse there, or excuse me, in the second verse of this chapter, he says that he calls these days, the la- you know, these last days, That was, you know, right around 2,000 years ago. Uh, It's been some long last days. Uh, But if the writer of Hebrews and the church had considered those last days, how much more so should we be aware? And just like this uh, psalm says uh, about the heavens and the foundations of the earth, they will perish. But you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You'll fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. Christ Jesus never changes. He never fails. Uh, we can. He's the one thing that we have that's constant, that we can count on. Um, and we really need to be remembering that and focusing not on the weird changes that are happening around or uh, anything that worries us, but focusing on the one thing that's not going to change, and that's Christ and his power and his love. Um, it's not going to go away. All right, verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Uh, he's never said that to the angels. Although he said that to the Lord. Psalm 110. Um, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool and what will happen after he makes the enemies his footstool i don't know christ will be reigning we know that he is preparing that these last days that he's getting ready to come back um the order of things and how that's going to work uh nobody really knows you can guess but um we'll have to wait and see what happens um and then verse 14 here, talking about the angels again. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So just interesting aside there, the angels, their job is to minister to the Lord. Is to do what he needs. And he has, as we see in this little verse here. Um, but he has sent them forth to minister For those who will inherit salvation. And uh, that would be whoever places their trust in Jesus Christ. When he redeems them. um, Is when we get that wonderful inheritance. Um, We have a lot to look forward to there. So chapter 2. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Lest we drift away For if the words spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? We must Give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. We must know the scriptures uh, to get through anything today. People will try and uh, lie to you about what the word says, mostly out of ignorance. I've never, I don't think I've ever met somebody who actually deliberately tried to tell me a lie about the Bible. Um, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere. But we have to know the scriptures. I remember I was sitting at lunch at work, uh, minding my own business, and a coworker came in and he was talking with this other group, and the discussion got pretty heated. So everybody had to hear it, no matter if you wanted to or not. And he was talking about kind of using an old, worn argument about how how can you know such a loving God in the Bible talk about or uh send his his son to die that's just that's ridiculous, you know that's a load of crap, and that he he just couldn't believe that that this that this God is loving, and that he does that. and I remember thinking about that and going through and and if you actually spend some time reading the Old Testament, you'll see how how the Lord really really, really prefers mercy and uh, how the better way for him is always love and compassion and just humility um but if you pick up your bible start you know leafing through (laughs) read a couple passages here and there and say oh yeah God's a jerk um you could you know sort of make that connection I guess um but if you actually know the scriptures, if you go through, if you read the Old Testament, and that's and that's what I, you know, that's what I took away from this. If you actually read through the whole New Te- Old Testament, you'll see time and time again God saying, "I've warned you, I have, you know, sent my prophets. I've done this. Come on, you guys, um, this isn't, you know, this isn't what I wanted. <laughs> I don't desire uh, sacrifice. I desire obedience." Um, But for us here, um, as we have the New Testament scriptures as well, what we have heard, how God has spoken to us is through his son, Jesus Christ, right? Through the illumination of the Holy Spirit on our hearts. We, if there's any other scriptures that you ever, ever, if, if all the Bible went away, The most important, in my my mind, scriptures we have are the Gospels. The testament of what Jesus Christ did here on the earth. And we as believers ought to know them very well, inside and out. Um, I'm not saying that we need to memorize scripture as rote or anything, but we should at least have a firm grasp of what goes on in the Gospels, as they're all about our Lord and the one who loves us and who saved us. Um, a while ago, I was feeling a little uh, that I that I didn't really have a good grasp on the Gospels, and I spent spent some time. Um, I would take when I had a couple hours uh, of doing nothing, which is pretty much never, uh, and read through. Uh, pick a pick a gospel, pick a book. Uh, and read through it from front to uh, front to back in one sitting. Um, I'd encourage you guys to do that. It was really awesome. Basically, growing up, uh, knowing the Lord, hearing scriptures um, all my life, it's easy to kind of you know recognize them when they're mentioned. Recognize this story and that story, but have no idea where it actually is referenced the context of what happened before and after and reading through the gospels. I will say there's, if you, if you pick through, like I was saying before, if you go and read, you know, a couple phrases here or there, or read a story here, read a story there. um, It's fine. You're getting the word, but sometimes it makes it way more confusing where if you, if you're reading through the gospel as a book, this is one account. This is what happened here, 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 here. Um, you can really see it starts to make sense this picture of a loving christ who is really really getting dogged by the re- religious elites and says some weird things if you read it out of context but when you're reading it in context you see you know maybe if you know a page earlier you know this happened and so then he said this later and it actually made sense and um we are to know our scriptures we are to know what christ said and if we, and it, the writer of Hebrews here kind of implies that if we ignore the word of God, that we neglect our wonderful salvation. And that we shouldn't be like the Israelites in Psalm 106 that says, We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. Um, God's going to work in us, those of us who's saved, who's uh, answered his call, who's decided to follow him. Um, But we can do it the hard way, or we can... We can know the scriptures, we can know him, and we can obey him. I think the big takeaway, if there's anything of my rambling that you're going to take away with, I'd love it for it to be to know your word, to know the Bible, and uh, to remember what God has done. Especially when times are difficult, uh, when things get kind of hairy, it's easy to forget what God has done in your life. And uh, it's important to remember. I'm going to end here on Psalm 106. Uh, Verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.